Well, this morning we begin a new series. We're in the book of Genesis. For those of you who don't like long book studies, we're only doing chapters 1 through 11, and so that will take us uh, through the month of March. You know, when a pastor looks uh, toward his future sermon prep, he typically has a why in mind. Why uh, this particular book? Why this section of Scripture? And for me, it goes back to our foundation series this past fall where we covered the basic doctrines or truths that form the basis of our faith. And of course, one of those pillars, the uh, most important pillar of our foundation, the primary pillar is the Word of God. Uh, we understand that our core beliefs, not just as Baptists, but as believers, as Christ followers, our core beliefs come from the Word of God. Uh, God never changes, His Word never changes, His purpose never changes. And so when you think about the foundations of our faith, we, we start with God's Word because that is the most important and the most uh, vital. Everything we believe in rests on the truth of God's Word, not our thoughts, uh, not our experiences, not what culture around us says or does. God's Word is true, but more than that, it is truth. In other words, God's Word is a source of truth. If you want to determine if something is true, you hold it up to the truth or to the standard. And this is the truth, and this is the standard by which we determine truth. You remember the words of 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so we know the words in the Bible, all of them are God's words. They are not the thoughts or ideas of, of the men who physically pin them or put them, put them on parchment. They're not in, insightful writings about God. They are the very words of God. In fact, in the Old Testament, you'll find phrases like the word of the Lord, God spoke, the word of God, or the Lord said hundreds of times. Clearly, God was making sure we understood that these were his words. Now, he used over 40 different men from various professions and various walks of life over a period of 1,500 years to pen this book. And yet, you see one theme, one message, completely unified. Why? Because the Bible's not the words of those 40 men. It is the Word of God. And God, every word in the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, was inspired by God and given to men by God himself. So, what does Genesis have to do with that foundational truth that this book is God's word or the source of absolute truth? How, do, how does Genesis shore up or how does Genesis uh, affirm our faith in the word of God being inerrant and infallible? Well, let's suppose um, this afternoon you went home and you've been thinking about uh, uh, planting a garden. And so you picked up a book that maybe you got at a, at a bookstore this week, you ordered online, you picked up a book on, on gardening, and as you read that very first chapter of that book, you recognize that not only is the author not sure about his topic, but he's, or, or she is making statements that are completely wrong, even false, and as you read, you say, well, you know, it seems like these lies are intentional. So you put the book down, right? And maybe later you have a friend ask you, uh, who's curious about the book, ask you about the book. You say, well, you know, the first chapter is complete hogwash, but maybe in, in the rest of the book, maybe in other parts of the book, there are some good things, right? Is that what you tell them? No, you would question the reliability of the entire book of the work. Well, Genesis is what? It's chapter one. It's the beginning. 
It's the start of this book that God has given us about himself. And there are a lot of people in our culture today, even believers, who aren't sure about the veracity of the Genesis account of creation. In fact, some in our culture straight up call it a hoax. If Genesis is a myth or Genesis is a hoax, then the entire word of God is completely fallible. You can't trust the veracity of any book that starts with a fictional account. You know what's funny? When you, if you've ever made an attempt um, to defend Genesis to someone who thinks it's a, it's a myth or a fable, if you make that attempt to defend it, one of the most frequent responses is, well, how do you know you weren't there? That's kind of a funny argument, isn't it? Because guess who else wasn't there? They weren't there. Listen, there are, there are people in our congregation that are older than dirt. And they weren't there. In fact, do you know who wrote Genesis? Moses. And Moses, as old as he was, was not there. When Moses wrote the account in Genesis, those words were given to him by God. God told Moses how he began this world. God was there. And so God is able to give us the details of creation. And if we don't believe this book, starting with this very first chapter, if we think it's a myth or we think it's a fable, then we don't believe God. And you might as well throw the entirety of Scripture out. So in my mind, Genesis is, is a starting point to an absolute unyielding faith in God as the source of truth. God can be trusted. His word can be trusted. Every single word of it. Now, as we, um, as we study Genesis, and really any time we study the Word of God, we need to remember that God is the infinite creator. And while God is infinite creator, and as we understand his infinite greatness, that also points to our finite human understanding. We're not going to be able to understand or comprehend everything about God and his ways because we're not capable. But with that in mind, we have to be careful that we put ourselves under the authority of his word and we don't put our own thoughts, our own ideas above the word of God. And that's what men have a tendency to do. Well, let's jump into the text this morning. If you're not there yet, turn to Genesis. should be pretty easy for you to find in your copy of Scripture, Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to read this morning just... Oh, by the way, everything I've set up to this point is just introduction. Doesn't count against my time. Y'all can reset that clock there. Now we're getting into the message. Genesis chapter 1, and I tell you what let's do, and, and the ESV translation's on the screen. Let's read these two verses together in Genesis chapter 1. Ready? Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the of the waters. At a seminary professor who once said, talking to preachers, have something to say, say it, and sit down. Here we go. Ready? In the beginning, God. It's enough, right? No, I'm not stopping there. I didn't listen to that professor. But really, those first four words are all we need to know. God was in the beginning. There was no time, there was no space, there was no heavens, there was no earth. Uh, all matter of matter had a beginning, but God did not. God was always there. As we said earlier, God is infinite. Now think about that for just a minute. 
If we know that God always existed, if we know that everything that was created was created by him who was not created, if we know that he was in the beginning, if we know that he made our beginning, he's all we need. Now let that, let that resonate for just a minute in your heart and your mind. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with in this day and at this time, God, who's infinite, who always existed, who made everything, who made you, God is all you need. Here's a challenge for us, again, going to our, our human finiteness, as we try to balance the concept of an ever-existing God and, and the fact that he created everything, we can't help but think, but surely God had a beginning. Children are a whole lot more honest with their thoughts and feelings than we are. They would simply ask the question, well, who made God? And it's a natural question. It's not only natural as you look at God and creation, it's natural as you look at the things that man has created. Think about my watch. Did this watch come into existence by itself? No, there's, there's a watchmaker. A watchmaker made the watch. Now, the watchmaker is more intelligent than the watch, and the watchmaker is greater than the watch. But what question does that lead us to? Who made the watchmaker? The watchmaker made the watch. The watchmaker is greater than the watch, but someone made the watchmaker, and someone is greater than the watchmaker. That's God. What we like to do is play this mental game of gymnastics. Okay, well then, who made God? Or we're actually saying, who's greater than God? Who made God? Well, super God made God. Well, who made super God? Well, super, super God made God. Well, who made super, super God? And we can go on and on and on because there has to be a biggest of all. And to be the biggest of all, you can't be made by someone else. So there's an infinite God. He's without end. He's without limit. God has always existed and God will always exist. He was not made. He is infinite in power, in knowledge, in understanding, in wisdom. More importantly than anything else, he is infinite in his love for you and me. And we take great comfort in that. So it's, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this ever-existing non-created God because we were created. So, so we can't conceive of that. The creator understands more than the created. We're not going to understand everything. The great news is, as much as we truly seek him in faith, he helps us understand what he wants us to know about him. Now, rest assured, if your worldview is based on what God testifies about himself in Genesis 1, you're going to encounter those who think you're very foolish to believe that there is a God who always existed and who had no beginning. That's beyond their comprehension and beyond their faith. And typically, from, you hear from people who believe that the universe came into existence by chance. You hear that it was a, a natural evolutionary process. It was not an intelligent designer. There was not a creator God. And here's a good question for those people who take that stance. Where did matter come from? What about the stuff, substance from which our, our universe is made? 
Now, there's one of two possible answers. They would have to say either matter was created, to which we would say, well, by whom? Or they would have to say that matter has always existed and evolved or made itself into what we see in our world today. And if that's where they are, that matter always existed and always involved on its own, then they have great faith in matter, but no faith in God. God made the matter down to the very smallest atom or molecule or whatever might be smaller than that. It was made by God. Every material thing that we see today was made by God. God, not man, not matter in and of itself. Maybe you've heard the legend of the wager uh, that, that Satan came up with. Satan approached God and said, hey, um, anything you can do, I can do. Anything you can make, I can make. God said, okay, let's make a man. And God stooped down and, and gathered up the dust of the earth and formed it and breathed the breath of life into it. And man had a living soul and was a living being. He said, it's your turn. And Satan knelt down and began to scoop up the the dirt and the dust, and God said, no, 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 no. You create your own dirt. All matter, everything that we see today, all matter was created by and comes from God. And I will tell you that even though I've never met the maker of this watch, it would take a lot more faith for me to believe that the the springs and, and wheels and gizmos in here have always existed and in and of themselves decided to come together and make this incredibly accurate timepiece. It would take a lot more faith for me to believe that than to believe that there is a watchmaker, even though I've not met him personally and did not see him make this watch, I believe there was a watchmaker. And don't misunderstand, people who believe that matter was not made by God and always existed, those people do have faith. It's blind faith, it's, it's misguided faith, it lacks credibility, but they have faith in eternal matter, just not in an eternal God. And faith in an intelligent being who has always been there and who made everything, which is what the Bible tells us, that faith is both reasonable and it's scientific based on what we can observe. You're not foolish to put your faith in a creator God who always existed. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God always existed. Always. God always existed, but the universe did not. There was nothing. There was not even even, um, space. You know, our our concept of nothing is um, take a room, maybe like this, completely gut it, take everything out of it, or take a box that's, that's empty, and we say, well, what's in the box? Nothing. What's in the room? Nothing. Our concept of, of nothing is so different from what Scripture's saying here. When Scripture says there was nothing, God created everything. When there was nothing, there was not even space. There, there was no nothing. So what did God create the universe from? Nothing. There was no pre-existing material. And from nothing, God made something. He brought the universe into existence. He created matter, which he then formed during the six days of creation. We won't cover all those today, but that's what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks. From nothing, God created. 
And by the way, matter did not evolve because matter didn't exist. Matter had no experience at evolving because it didn't even previously exist. God made the matter. God formed the matter. The theory of evolution is a very weak theory. It is not scientific fact. I don't care what you were taught in school. It's just theory. And it's a weak theory. Where did the matter come from? How did the matter form itself into what we, into what we have today? The Hebrew word here in verse 1, the Hebrew word for created is bara. It describes divine activity and it literally means to create out of nothing. Just as a side note, I'm not going to cover all the ridiculous series today, but just as a side note, um, the Big Bang Theory. You know, some Christians, I've met some Christians who believe that the Big Bang Theory could have been used by God to create the universe. And obviously, that contradicts God's account here in Genesis 1. But I want you to look at Genesis 2 real quick. In verse 2, it says that the initial condition of the matter God created is that it was covered with water. So, so the earth was not a hot molten blob to start with from which the Big Bang Theory blew everything into place and in perfect order. No. God did it. Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Look at this. So that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible. What is seen was not made out of things that were visible. Meaning, what we see now was made out of materials that weren't visible, materials that didn't even exist But those very materials were brought into existence by God. All of it. First five words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. The first five words of the Bible are an incredible anchor for your faith when trials and when difficulties come. In the beginning, God created. No matter what happens in this world, no matter what difficulties you you have in this life, you and I have to remember we are under the care of an incredibly powerful God. In the beginning, God created. Look at verse 2. It says, The earth was without form, was void, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, let me mention to you, and you know this, that, that the verses and chapter divisions you see in Scripture were added by man. God didn't dictate to Moses. All right, chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 2. Those were put in there by man. In fact, the Old Testament verses, verse divisions, were added around the mid-1400s. Now, why am I mentioning that? Some people believe that between verse 1 and verse 2, that there's a time gap. In fact, you were probably taught in school that the earth is billions of years old. That's not what God's Word says. Oh, but scientists have proven that theory, haven't they? Let me say, first of all, there are many scientists who believe the earth is only 6,000 years old. They believe the, the biblical account, and they have seen, uh, they have made no observations scientifically that would disprove that. But many scientists have tried to date the earth using a lot of different complex methods. And if you really look at it and study those methods, you'll find out that they're often fallible. 
Maybe you've heard other theories that include things about the fossil records or the, the structure of canyons that purportedly would have taken millions of years to have been carved out. And we'll deal with those things in a couple of weeks when we cover another myth in Genesis 7. You know what that myth is? What caused the fossil records in the canyons we have today? What is it? It's a flood. Of course, the only foolproof method of dating the earth was to know someone who was there when it was created. And I'll take the testimony of God's word on that. But, but what about this gap between verses 1 and 2 that many have tried to, to say um, all this time passed between verse 1 verse 2? What, what about that gap? It's not there. There are those who try to place their own views over Scripture, and they have put it there. God doesn't mention it. Why would he not mention that? Genesis says, and, and it's very clear, that creation happened in six days. And by the way, those are six literal 24-hour days. We'll get to that next week. But the earth in verse 2 is the same earth at the same time frame as earth in verse 1. The, the Hebrew language doesn't allow a gap between those two verses. I want you to forget for a moment the, the English punctuation you see here. Verse 1 ends with a period. Verse 2 starts a new thought. I want you to forget that English punctuation. In the Hebrew, the, there's no gap. In, in the Hebrew language, verse 2 begins with a, with a, with a noun clause that is describing the circumstances that are existing or occurring at the same time as what you just read in verse 1. In other words, verse 2 is just clarifying the quality of being or the state of the earth in verse 1, which is the main clause. It's just explaining that when God created the heavens and the earth, at that point the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. You, you could read verses 1 and 2 this way. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and everything was shrouded in darkness. The Spirit of God was also present, hovering over, protecting, ready to participate in creation. What I'm trying to say to you is this. A thorough study of the first five verses of Genesis 1 all describe day one. In the first day, God created matter, and then he began to form the matter that he created. And if you look at the, the literal six-day account of creation, we know that Adam and Eve were created on what day? Do you know without looking? What day were they created? Yes, day six. And from the Old Testament genealogies, which are clearly spelled out, we know when people were born, we know when people died. When you add those dates together with other events in Scripture, the Bible reveals that God created the earth, God created the world about 4,000 years before the birth of Christ. Doesn't take a lot of math to figure this out. That means the earth is a little over 6,000 years old. Now, whether or not you believe the Genesis account reveals a, a young earth, let me say again something that's vitally important anytime we look into Scripture. We can never bring our view or our presupposition to Scripture and lay it over what God has said. What God has said here in Genesis is that from nothing, He created all the matter, He formed and fashioned it in these six days, and in six days, God created the earth. 
Listen, I, I can look at this logically and say it doesn't make any sense for God to have created matter in verse 1 from which he created our world and then just let it sit there for billions of years. It, it's not like it needed to ferment or something needed to happen to it before he could do something with it. Well, what's a lot more important than my logical thinking is this. Genesis 1 said, God created matter that was without form. And then by the power of his spoken word, he created a wonderful, incredible earth for us to inhabit. And it's a world that will continue to give testimony to his power and to his splendor. There's no mention of a gap. There's no mention of a delay. What Genesis 1 says, and this is the accurate record, that in six days of phenomenal creative power, God created the earth. And that is a testimony to his glory, to his greatness. Now, what's the application for us? We, we've heard the creation account many, many times. We've heard the story many, many times. Maybe you've never thought about what you were taught in school and what different scientists have said, and, and, and you see that Scripture clearly says God made matter, God created that matter, God formed that matter. What, what does it mean to us today? Let's go back to the first four words. In the beginning, God. What does that mean to you for your life? What does it mean when you find yourself in difficulty or, or in trial? In the beginning, God. God is infinite. God has always existed. God is eternal. In the beginning, God created God made everything that we see out of nothing, and he made it for us. Every day in, in the Genesis account, every day as God created, you see that he says it was good. And he made it for us. He made an incredible world for us to inhabit and to enjoy. No, it's not the perfect world that he initially created. But he made it for us out of his love for us. How does that, how does that bolster? How does that affirm your faith. Here's another really important point of application. If we truly believe, not in evolution, not in the Big Bang Theory, if we truly believe in a creator who made everything that exists, there's some accountability there. We're accountable to that creator. He made us. He owns us. And for those who are believers, he, he owns us twice. Not only does he own us, but he bought us back. There's accountability. You know why a lot of people want to deny the very beginning of God's word, the Genesis account, so they can throw out all of the word? So they can say it's all a myth, it's all a fable. They want to deny that there is a creator of God because they don't want to be accountable to God. Live life their way not God's way. Listen, there's accountability. Even for the non-believer, there's accountability because God made them. They belong to him. But even more for us, we have greater responsibility and greater accountability because we know. We know the creator God. The world didn't start with a big bang, with a hot holy mess, but it's going to end that way. Time is coming, 
And people need to know. We need to be firm enough and stand firmly on what we believe and communicate that to others. People need to know of our creator God. Absolutely, they need to know of his love for them. But they also need to know of their accountability to him. 